0: Hello there, my name is Colin Piper and I'm narrating Patriarch, which is the retelling of the biblical story of Abraham. This particular podcast deals with the legal covenant of circumcision. But please, before you switch off, let me say it also deals with restoration and it gives all sorts of hope in the light of failure and how God loves us and deals with us even in our weakest moments us So that uh, nothing is wasted in his economy I actually quote from a French author called René Bazin And uh, it, it, the English translation of what he wrote is He talks about a, a weather vane rusted to mark a wind of yesteryear And that's how I see Abraham at this moment uh, Looking longingly back to the past It may be how you see your Christian faith too There's hope Listen up and hopefully you'll find it Patriarch, Chapter 4, Part 7. Abraham's healing and restoration was immediate, but still took many months to comprehend. It was only some time later he was able to grasp that waiting time is not wasted time to God. Nothing stands still or is lost. Everything is redeemed, and not just time, but failure, rebellion, everything. Thirteen wilderness years led to the fullest revelation yet of the God who doesn't just speak, but shows himself. What was immediately apparent to him was that the God who stood before him was both the same Lord who'd appeared over 20 years before in Shechem, And more significantly, the same God who still felt the same way about him. And yet his first words were so very different. I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. The time of rebellion and argument was over. God Most High had spoken, and the mere utterance of his name and nature punctuated the past with a full stop. Then, with a fresh breath and a new urgency, introduced the future. I will confirm my covenant between me and you, and will greatly increase your number. Abram could take no more moved from his knees to lie face down before his Lord. There he lay before God, who was unarguably most high, and yet unequivocally committed to the weakest of servants. When this God made a covenant, it stood the test of time, and much, much more. And when Abraham finally was ready, this God would repeat the covenant, and much much more, as for me, this is my covenant with you. The words were actually almost whispered they were but they were so personal. Abram could not only hear the Lord but also see him, and now he not only saw him but also felt him or at least his breath, as he bent down over Abram's prostrate body and softly spoke the words into his ear. And as Abram felt God's breath, he felt life coming back into his being. It comforted him and regenerated him. It made him feel like a new man, a new man with a renewed call and even a new name. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you the father of many nations. Abraham's mind raced, exalted father one moment he's slumped broken and in strife with his own only child a a failure of a father and then the breath of god whispers in his ear and he becomes an exalted father humanly speaking was all too much but this was no human speaking it was god almighty god it was his covenant dependent upon him alone Abraham remembered the last time God had spoken like this. Could it really have been 15, what, 16 years before? He remembered how he'd responded then in faith and how God had been able to take that response and speak even more into his life. But even that faith was a response. It was God's initiative, God's gift. And this covenant was all about God. If Abraham was to be an exalted father, it was nothing to do with him. God would have to exalt him. All he could do was accept the title. And as God continued to speak out the terms of his covenant, Abraham realised he had no choice. He must accept the title. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant. What he couldn't do, God would. His experience of fatherhood was hardly exalted. If Abraham was honest, Ishmael was an ever-growing embarrassment to him. Beginning with the conception and developing through puberty, everything about the lad shamed him. Yet God talked of his children becoming kings. Abraham's mind focused briefly and fondly on Melchizedek once more. His children were not to be wild donkeys, stubbornly kicking out against all they met, but wondrously children in the line of Melchizedek. If so, he would truly be an exalted father. Oh, he so wanted to believe it. But could it be exalted? Not because of who he was, but because of his offspring. It was still hard to believe, looking at Ishmael. And yet his heart still soared as God's next whispers echoed through his mind, spirit and soul. Between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. Oh, just as it was all becoming too much for Abraham, he sensed God's breath retreats as he leant back and paused. Abraham knew that his all-knowing God was giving him breathing space to process all he had said. Abraham sighed deeply as he lay there, and in the stillness sought again to comprehend that however personal and intimate his God may be, this was very much bigger than him. It involved the whole land, whole nations, and even the whole of history. It was all far, far too marvellous. Where did he fit into such a scheme of things, and what on earth could someone as weak and Let's face it, now as old as him do. It was all too big, too too much. And he had hardly done well so far, had he? But in response, Abraham once more felt the breath of God on his face. And heard the answers to his heart's cry, softly and slowly whispered in his ear. As for you, you must keep my covenant. Abram stiffened physically. Here was his part. He remembered the first call of God to leave home and family and come here to Canaan. Now his God was to say more and he had no idea what that would be and what it would mean. And to compound the profoundity of the moment, the next statement made it clear that this was once more bigger than just him. It was, after all, an everlasting covenant. You and your descendants after you. For generations to come. Once more God paused before formally announcing what he would require. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you. The covenant which you are to keep. Every male among you should be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenants. Again, the Lord sat back to allow some space for Abraham to take in all he'd said. And this time, Abraham sat up himself. Despite the very presence of God, the patriarch was struggling to maintain the moment. It simply didn't make sense. This was a sacred agreement with terms dictated by the God of heaven. And yet it was so very strange. Of course, he knew of the ritual of circumcision, but was hardly expecting God to ask this of him. At least not in this context. Inversion it, it, it the ridiculous. It was only later Abraham was able to reflect upon it all more. Then he was to appreciate that he found physical responses to God like building an altar for worship or, or even setting out on a journey more attainable than any other type of commitment. What's more, he realised, circumcision would be a deeply personal but visible sign carried on the body forever and therefore very appropriate. There was no time, though, to work this through there and then because the Lord sat beside him and spoke a word to him he'd never spoken before. It was the dearest word in the world to Abraham and never had it been said so beautifully as then. As for your wife, Sarai, oh Sarai, Hearing God speak his love's name with such love and tenderness released in Abraham all the feelings his guilt, anger and stubbornness had dammed up for so long. Oh, for thirteen years the love had remained, but had become somehow inexpressible by both. Like a weather vane rusted to mark a wind of yesteryear, it spoke more of what had been, than what was true now. Now as God spoke, the dam broke, the vein moved, and love flowed freely again, almost overwhelming the old man. You are no longer to call her, Sarai. For so long, Abraham had wrestled with how their love would be freed again. And all along he knew in his heart of hearts that it would only be so if his relationship with God was restored first, just as it had been on the way out of Egypt. The truth was, Abraham never loved his wife so much as when he'd met with God. His God had been the source of love, a love of the depth. Abraham couldn't hope to conjure up by himself. Now at his time of greatest need, he needed God to speak this love into his being and give them both a new start they needed. And God didn't disappoint. Her name will be Sarah. Oh, this Abraham did understand. Sarah had always been his princess. And never more so than now as God called her so. Oh, there was a solemnity about the moment as father and husband agreed together on their love. But there was an even greater depth of profundity found in the quiet determination of what God spoke next. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations, kings of people will come from her. Once more, Abraham collapsed to the floor, not knowing whether to laugh or cry. Confused expressions of confused emotions. Wonder filled his being. A holy wonder at what God had said. A human wonder, though, at how it could ever be. He knew what he wanted to say to the Lord. He wanted to ask how a son could be born to a man of a hundred years of age and how Sarah could bear a child at the age of 90. But right now he struggled to articulate his doubts as much as his faith, and so his actual response was a sort of compromise of both. If only Ishmael might live under your blessing. It was then Abraham learned that God knows, hears, and responds to the cry of the hearts more than the words of, of the mouth. Yes, God said in response to the words and smothered laugh from Abraham's lips. But, he continued in response to the words and hidden cry from Abraham's hearts. Your wife, Sarah, will bear you a son and you will call him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. God's answer shook Abraham to the core. Not only because he answered the unasked question, but also because of how he answered the unasked question. There was now no space for doubt. God had spoken and specifically, he'd heard the cry of Abraham's heart and the laugh of his lips and responded by naming the son to be born, he laughs. In the aftermath of these words, the ones which followed were lost for a while until Abraham had time over the following day to reflect further upon all his God had said. Not only God's answers to the questions Abraham hadn't asked, but also to the ones he had. And for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. He will be the father of 12 rulers and I will make him into a great nation. Abraham would wonder for the rest of his life how nothing, and more significantly no one, is ever wasted or lost in God's economy. But at the same time, he was left in no doubt, there and then, that nothing, and more significantly, no one, could thwart or even change the purpose of his God. But my covenants I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. And with that, God left him, and Abraham watched him go. The God of the everlasting covenant rising up into the never-ending sky, left behind alone again but no longer a broken man. The scars of 13 largely futile years remained but now told a story of healing, restoration and hope. The man who emerged from his tent to grease his household, looked the same, but all knew he was different. Some recognised the same old man who they'd known those 13 years before. Others who knew him even better recognised more specifically the man who they'd met on those mystical occasions when he'd returned from one of his nocturnal vigils on some lonely crag somewhere. For two individuals, though, the change was more unsettling because it was more personal. When he'd run from his father's tent, Ishmael had determined that he would avoid Abraham for as long as he could. In the event he couldn't do so for more than a few hours, when some of Abraham's men came and found him, their seriousness scared him, and the 13-year-old man became a boy again. Sheepishly, he was led to his father, but not to the exclusive audience he feared. Instead, it was with some relief he saw the crowd gathered in the centre of the camp, and his fear ebbed to mere curiosity. It was an exclusively male company, he noted, and all seemed to share a degree of the apprehension with which he'd come. Ishmael's escorts led him through the crowd until suddenly, without warning, he found himself at the very front and standing before his father. It was, though, a very different father from the one he'd left on the floor of his tent just a short time before. There was a glow to him, a a glory almost, which transfixed Ishmael to the spot in the same way it it had mesmerised the rest of the male household. Ishmael bowed not out of a sense of duty, but out of compulsion. He stood before greatness and couldn't fathom what had happened in those few hours since they'd met to create that awe. He'd never seen his father like this and had no response to him. He found himself utterly lost for words. Somehow he, he didn't even know how to address his father-in-law. Instead, he could only remain bowed, not as a perfunctory show, an act of submission and waits. Wait for whatever his lord, master and father might ask of him. I am Abraham. His father was both addressing him and the whole crowd and, and along with the crowd he found himself accepting unquestioningly what he'd heard authenticated by what he saw. Today, we will commit ourselves to walk blamelessly before our Lord. Once more, Abraham's words were met with silence. But again, it wasn't a disapproving or even confused silence. Rather, it was a silence of submission, an acquiescence which said there was nothing to say. As the day went on each made their commitment to the covenant still unquestioningly if not so silently and the first to do so was Ishmael who stood before and beside his father for the first time a true son the 13 year old little boy was unashamedly afraid and teary but proud and emboldened by how his father looked at him And whatever it was, his father saw in him. But there was one other, not in the company that day, for whom the consequences of Abraham's encounter with God would be even more profound. Listening to the Patriarch Podcast. For more information, you can go to BibleNovels.com where you can become a Patreon supporter to support Overseas Mission.